We've got a lot going on here. We've been in this series, Whatever Happened to the Power of God, trying to figure out where on earth did God go, what, what happened to Him, what, why did He leave the building, looking at a number of different things. And I just want to recap briefly, because we've looked at this from several different angles. Primarily what we're looking at in this moment is the idea of healing. We looked at, is it God's will to heal? Does God heal today at all? And if He does, then why is it so sporadic? Because is it sporadic out of the sense that it is simply His will? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. We have things that are stayed, you know, and we just talked about this a little bit this morning. But, you know, it's like, well, somebody gets sick with a, an illness or something. Like, well, God put that on him because it changed his life and it brought him closer to God or whatever like that. Is that the character of God that we see in Scripture? And the answer is no, it's not. But we still have to be able to address these things from a, a biblical worldview. Looking at things from the basis of Scripture. Now, I know some of you guys are staring at me today and are a little confused, okay? So, for those of you that are watching on Facebook, yes, I am wearing a jacket. It does happen once in a while. There, nobody died, so everybody relax, okay? I don't have to go to a funeral today. I know it's confusing. I have not worn this thing. I think 2009 was the last time. I had to literally knock the dust off of it. I didn't even know I still owned it, to be honest with you. It was just hanging in the closet. But it was for a reason, is that... Brett and Ashley with their family had gone on vacation and they brought me back a little gift. And they brought me this t-shirt they wanted me to wear. It uh, says, Donald Pump, make America strong again. And so I just didn't feel like just wearing a t-shirt up here. Although with as hot as it is in here, it, it, it may be what we come to. So anyway, so y'all relax. Let's just clear the air. We're all on the same page. All right? Yes, I know. Okay, we're there. I heard nothing about it. Everybody walked through the door in the Bible study this morning. Oh, who died? You know, and it's just, it is what it is. Just deal with it. All right. No, now that that's out of the way, let's get back. So we're looking at the power of God. Is it God's will to heal? We've looked at this from as many angles as I could think to come up with. And so we've started with the concept that is it God's will? We've gone through scripture. We say, okay, yeah, I see. Every person that ever came to Jesus was healed. There was never one that came to him saying, Jesus, will you heal me? He said, sorry, it's not my father's will. Sorry, you're not part of the plan. We looked at it showing that it wasn't just arbitrary, that people just didn't magically come up and get healed, that all of it was part of a plan, proving that Jesus was the Messiah, talking about those messianic miracles. We looked at the idea with the woman with the issue of blood, knowing what the prophet had spoken, which is written in the word, that if she came up and touched the hem of his garment, that she would be made whole, because the word said so. That's an element of faith, just taking God for what he says. Boy, if we could just do that today, if we could just simply say, okay, God, boy, you said it, I believe it. But you know what we do is we take this and we pick parts that we like. We pick the parts that feel good. We pick the parts that speak something to us. We open it up as if this is chicken soup for the soul. Lord, what will you speak to me today? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yeah, that's right. I can do all things. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Yeah, that's right. But yet we walk around sick, we walk around tired, we walk around defeated. If that's the case, if that spirit's in us, what's he doing? Like, he's sitting on the couch eating Cheetos is what he's doing. Where's he at? If this, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, it's time to clock in, buddy. Because where's he at? But what do we do? We have taken a part of the salvation experience. We can come to God in faith and say, yes, I am saved. No problem. But the rest of the parts, I don't know if he meant that. That's our problem. Is we just don't look at this and say, well, this is what he said. 
Like, I can't always explain it, but that's what it says. It's, it, you were talking about this this morning. Jenna has this habit of stealing my sermons without knowing what they are. It's very weird. I think she's got something on my computer that tracks what I'm doing. Um, and yes, I spend too much time on Amazon, okay? But that's besides the point. But it's like we want... It's, it's when you go to McDonald's, as an example. You go in there and order a number one. And it comes with... It's a Big Mac, if you didn't know, but I think most of y'all knew, all right? I mean, you know, I'm looking around the room. I think everybody here knows what a Big Mac is. And it comes with onions and pickles and lettuce and secret sauce, which is Thousand Island. It's no secret. The secret's out. But we go in there, and we're like, boy, I want a Big Mac, but don't put the sauce on it. What's wrong with you? Are you a communist? I mean, what's the deal here? You see, we're, we're, we're taking the elements that God created and we're saying, God, I want that salvation, but don't give me the rest of it. I don't want it. I don't want to heal it. I hear it. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want the expectation. What do you mean go into all the world and preach the gospel? Yeah, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. What do you mean you expect me as a servant of you to go out there and talk to my neighbor, talk to my friends, talk to my coworker about the gospel? What, you want me to go lay hands on the sick? No, 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 no. I don't want that part. We want the parts that feel good that are convenient for us because we've created a God in our own image, whether we want to admit it or not. We've got elements of the king and we've got elements of the world mixed in. In this church, in all the churches, because we don't do the work of the gospel. We don't do the work of the evangelist. We want to cherry pick the parts that we like. We want church to feel good. We want to go there when we want to. We don't want, we don't want any dedication to it. You know, you hear people make excuses all the time. Like, well, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I should say it that way. Yeah, you're right, that has nothing to do with it. But there are things that Christians do. One of which is they don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, which is the practice of some. We come together for a purpose. We come together to be built up, equipped, ready to go out. But what we want to do is we want to just take God and say, okay, God, thank you for saving me. Now, leave me alone. That's what we do. Don't bother me, i got stuff to do. But yet, the character of Scripture and the character of the Bible is we have a God that interacts with His people. So, Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We just sang that, right? All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies your mouth with good things that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, that's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the one who comes in and interacts with man. The God of the Bible is one who keeps his promises. Did he keep his promises to the nation of Israel? Yep. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will be blessed. You will be healthy. You will never have any problem. And if you don't, you will be cursed. And he kept his promises, right? Absolutely. Has he kept his promise to David? That there will be one that sits on your throne for all time. Yeah, it's coming. Hasn't happened yet. Did he keep his promise to Abraham? That your descendants will be in Egypt, but they are going to go to a land that I'm going to give you. And you will be uh, as mighty as all the nations of the world. As as every sand grain, every star in the sky, it will be innumerable. He kept his promise to Noah when he said he's never going to flood the earth again. You see, he's a God that keeps his promises. And yet, here we see the character of him. It says, forget not all his benefits. That he forgives, sure, no problem. But does he heal? Does he heal? And so as we've gone through this, we've got to understand this and we've got to accept it. Who is the God that we are worshiping? Because as we see in Isaiah 53, now we've talked about this, we're going to focus here on verses 4 and 5. And we're going to just hang out here for a while. Because we're not in any rush. We've got nowhere to be. 
We're going to go through this with the fine-tooth comb. Because you know what I'm tired of? I am tired of seeing born-again believers believing God for healing and it not happening. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of praying for people that don't get healed. I see people every year. I mean, I've watched people. I have prayed for people that God has miraculously healed. And I have prayed for people that they haven't. So what is the deal? So I'm tired of that. I want to know what God says. And part of it is, I think we don't have enough faith in God. We put our faith in the healing. God, you're the healer. We put our faith in His attributes instead of Him. Because we don't accept Him for who He is. And Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely, this is talking about the Messiah. When Messiah comes, surely He has borne our griefs and He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripes we are healed. Boy, you, you hear that quoted every time somebody's praying for somebody. By His stripes we are healed. Well, what does it mean? Well, we saw the word born here. That He has borne our griefs. When we see the word born, it means to suffer punishment for something. It's literally what it means. It's the word nasa. Nasa is really how it's spelled. That He is taking a punishment for something. Punishment for what? What? Sins is one thing. But the word griefs is the word hali, which means sickness. He has borne our sickness. Well, that must mean spiritually speaking, Right? spiritually taking the sickness away. And then he carried, he sabal, he, to bear something as a penalty or a chastisement. He carried our sorrows. And I showed you in the Hebrew that the word sorrow means pains. So he has borne our sickness. He has carried our pains. Then why did he stop? You see, as we look at Scripture, Scripture interpreting Scripture, we begin to notice that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Was he not? We know he fulfilled over 300 of them. Over 300 of them, no problem. Where he was born, you bet. When he was born, you bet. Who, what, what city, I mean, all this stuff, all the things that he did, this part here that he did. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. As I showed you last week, what did he do? He taught what the Scripture said. He preached the kingdom is at hand, and he healed all of their sickness. He never healed some of their sickness. Anybody who came to him, he healed them. There was never an example of anybody that, he, that came to him that he did not take care of. And then we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying there sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. You see, Matthew is giving a commentary on Isaiah 53. He is fulfilling it in the work that he did here. And here's how you know that this is a move of God. There's a nuance in this passage that often gets overlooked. Can you uh, pull that back up there? I want you guys to see this. Because those of you who are married have a mother-in-law. And let's face it, we don't pray for a mother-in-law, right? We're like, can you just like silence that woman? Can you do something with her, right? I mean, that's, that's a move of God. That's a joke. Just relax, y'all. My mother-in-law's fine. She has her own issues. But... And sometimes it trickles down. Anyways. Yeah, I know. I got to go home with her today. So 
be praying for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to need that for court, I'm sure. So, but here's the thing, guys. It's, it's in never a time when a New Testament writer quotes an Old Testament passage is he using it incorrectly. Never. Not once. Otherwise, we have a problem, don't we? It's the same thing in Acts chapter 1. Remember that Judas is gone and, and Peter stands up like, guys, we need a 12th. We need a 12th apostle. And he quotes two obscure psalms. Passages out of psalms to prove his case. You go back and read that, you'd be reading that and like, oh, yeah, obviously there's going to be a problem with Judas and they're going to need a 12th guy. You'd have never come up with that. But Peter knew exactly what the Scripture has said because Jesus said that the illumination of Scripture is happening for them. So we have to accept this, that this is what Matthew said, that he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. But why don't we? If he took them, why do we take them back? If he took them, why do we carry them? We have to be able to deal with this. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to do good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of good conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults and take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called before, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Again, he's quoting Old Testament here. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So here's that passage quoted again. Those are the two times that it's mentioned. By whose stripes... You were healed. Well, here and Peter, what's he talking about? He's talking about the sins, taking the sin away and all of that. Here's the question. How does sickness start? How does sickness start? Did God create sickness in the garden? Sickness is a result of sin. It was a result of the fall. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Thus, death enters into the world. Sickness is nothing more than slow death. A cold can kill you if you don't have an immune system. God has created our bodies to, to, in a way to fight off those things, but there are things that our bodies cannot fight. But yet, when we look at these and we look at these passages together, we begin to see a picture forming. That what Jesus did was not only make us whole spiritually, He made us whole bodily. Now, if you want to argue with me that, that we don't walk in that, I will agree with you wholeheartedly. But the, that doesn't change what the scripture says. See, that's the thing. Oftentimes when I ask somebody if they believe that God heals today, they'll raise their hand and, and they'll say, yes, I do. And I say, why do you believe that? Oh, I saw him heal so-and-so. The problem with that is now it's anecdotal based on your experience instead of because the word says so. That's where we start. We might give examples, but we always start because the Word says so. How do you know that somebody must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God? Because the Word says so. We go there for that, but we don't anything else. Is it God's will for us to be healed, to be healthy, prosperous, uh, prosperous, all those things? Absolutely, He is. That is His will. Now, why and how? That's where we're going. 
All right? That was just the introduction and recap. Guys, ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 22. This is where we begin to look. In verse 19, the introduction of the new covenant. And he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. All right? Passage out of Luke. Luke, Gentile doctors, most believe. Some say that he wasn't Gentile, he was Jewish. I don't know. Bottom line is this. He is just simply writing down what took place, what's being given to him. Most believe that he's getting his information at this point from Peter. I don't know. Bottom line is this. There are two parts to this. The first one being the cup. The cup, no problem. It's the cup after supper. The third cup and the Passover meal. He's having Passover with them. It's the cup of redemption. When he goes to Gethsemane and he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me, he is referring to the cup of redemption because he says, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, this cup is the new covenant. We know what the cup is. However, what we don't know is why is the bread his body? His body is given for you. We ignore that part. Why is he saying that? Why is he making that statement? I've told you guys before. I just keep this up here because I never know when I'm going to bring it out. But we have matzah. This, he said that this is his body, right? This cracker. If those of you that tasted it, it has no taste. It's not great. There's nothing special about it. I think you, didn't you like dip a bunch in chocolate or something like that? That's what I'm talking about. Like if I'm there at the last meal, like here guys, try this. This is cheese sauce. You know? But he says, this is my body which is broken for you. There's a portion of the body being broken that is for us that we have no idea about. We know what the matzah that the Jews don't even recognize it, that it is pierced, it has to be, that it is striped, it's the way it's cooked, you can kind of see the brown marks, those are the stripes. It has to be or it doesn't qualify. So this is what they use. There's a whole thing to that. I promise you this year, this coming year, we will do a Seder meal when we get closer to Passover. If you've never experienced that, it opens your eyes like nothing else will. It's unbelievable. But he says, this is my body and I'm breaking it for you. That's a clue, guys. We need to look into this. We need to understand this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, now we've got Paul talking about the very same thing. And Paul says in verse 17, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now, you've got to understand what's going on in the book of Corinthians. Paul is nailing their butts to the wall. This church is wild. It's crazy. We joke around and say it's the first church of Californians. They're full of fruits and nuts, okay? Because they're talking about the gifts, and he's saying, like, listen, guys, like, simmer down a little bit. You need to do this stuff. He's bringing correction, okay? Because they're an immature church. He says that in, in chapter 3. So he says, I do not praise you, because when you come together, you're not coming together for the better. You're coming together for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, as a ecclesia, an assembly, all right? So when the body comes together, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, now watch this, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now what's he talking about? You see, what was going on here is they're coming together and they weren't honoring what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever, whatever terminology you want to put on it. Because this was mealtime. Bread was cheap. Wine was prevalent. People would come together and they would grab something to eat. So it would be no different if we're passing around the communion elements and you reach in and you grab a handful and it's like, man, I'm hungry, it's snack time. Because we're not recognizing it for what it is. And of course, there's this hierarchy of I'm better than you, you're down here, I get mine first, you get yours last, that kind of stuff that's going on. But he's getting on to them for it. Now, is there a consequence for this? Well, we continue reading. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now, when did he receive this? Remember, he spent time in the desert, Jesus teaching him. That... The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So what was going on there? It was a Passover meal. What we just read. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Two parts to it, right? Now, this is a direct quote out of the book of Luke. Now, this tells us something. Luke's gospel was written prior to this letter, right? That tells us that, number one. It also tells us that Paul recognizes Luke's gospel as authoritative, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't be quoting it to them. So, he is saying the exact same thing. So, we know where this is going, that we're doing this in remembrance of him. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Two distinctions there. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, there many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means dead, not napping. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will when I come. So what did he just say? There's a consequence for not honoring this. I don't mean in a religious way because the context here is they're looking for a snack. They're looking for something to eat. I'm coming because I'm hungry. And he just says, go home and eat. That's not the point. Now, we will get into this. He brings judgment on himself and the consequence of that later on. But what I want you to see is that in here, when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, there is certainly a consequence in the not honoring it. And what was that consequence? That many are weak, sick, and dead. Now that's crazy to think about, isn't it? In the way in which we do communion, in the way in which we partake of this, it brings judgment on us. 
So what happens when we do that? I will tell you this much. It is not a matter of, am I perfect with God or am I doing everything right and all? That has nothing to do with it. And I will explain that later. So I don't want anybody freaked out by that. That's not what it's talking about because the context of it doesn't allow for that. But you notice that they're not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak, sick, and dead. So we need to examine this because he's making a very clear analogy here that this is his body. Okay? So, today, we are going to look at John chapter 6. We are going to read through John chapter 6, because you're going to watch this come together. John chapter 6, and verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So what did he do? He healed them. So many are following him because of this. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So he's coming up on the very thing that we're talking about. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So he knew what was going on. With that word bread, that's what I want to look at here. We've got the word bread here. What does that mean? In the Greek, it is the word artos. When he says, take this bread, this is my body, it's the word artos. It's the same word. So he's referencing here, this bread, that bread, all the same word. He's testing Philip here. Verse 7, Philip answered and said, 200 denarii, Worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now, so you understand, a denarius is a day's wage. So if we had 200 day, working days worth of pay, we ain't got enough to fulfill this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, that word loaves there, same word, artos, bread. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples of those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he, he, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen this, the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, I don't know about you, but that intrigues me because who is the prophet? It doesn't say a prophet. It's very specific about somebody that they're looking for. Now, what do we have going on here? We have the multiplication of food. Jesus is taking the loaves, he's taking the fish, and he's going to feed the masses with it, right? This is not the first time that this has happened. In 2 Kings chapter 4, you see it with the widow and the oil and the flour and all that kind of stuff. But there's another time that when God provided food for the masses, the manna from heaven, right? The prophet in mention here explains itself in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. Now, who is saying this? 
Moses is. From your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, why they have spo- what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. The prophet implies a prophet like Moses that he will raise up. In Moses' day, God miraculously provided bread from heaven, the manna. And every time the Passover season comes around, they were waiting for this one to rise up to deliver them and set up his kingdom again. Okay? So the Jewish people rehearsed how God would deliver them from their oppressors by the hands of Moses. They would, that was the whole Passover thing. Every year they would go through that again. And they were waiting on this Messiah figure to show up and set up his kingdom and set them free. Right? Remember, they're, they're waiting on this to happen. And so what are they talking about? This is the one. They're recognizing the multiplication of the bread. This is the prophet spoken about in Deuteronomy 18. Well, let's go back and let's keep reading in John. Verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed from the mountain by himself alone. So you guys see exactly what they're waiting to do. Jesus knows what's about to happen, so he gets out of there. They're waiting on Verse 16. Now when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And drawing near the boat, they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now, look at this. What's happening? Moses' figure, bread being given by God. What do we have here? We have the waters not stopping the Messiah, not stopping Jesus. So we've got the whole the picture of crossing the Red Sea because God supernaturally made a way for them to cross it. Here Jesus supernaturally uh, is crossing over the water. He's walking on top of it, right? Pretty awesome. Don't you wish you could do that? It would be wonderful. Then it says immediately the boat was at land where they were going. Now, what does that mean? Some speculate that something supernatural happened and it zapped the boat over the land. That may be the case here. It could be that they just, are there. it's dark. Remember, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have lights going on. They may have looked up and said, oh, we're at shore. Okay? So we have that going on. This idea, this picture of the bread from heaven, we have the crossing of the Red Sea going on. Now, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because they knew he didn't get into the boat with them. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now this is interesting. Because he's going to start drawing attention back to the bread. The loaves. The reason you're here is because you saw that. It wasn't the other signs. They're recognizing this movement of the prophet. The one sent by God in Deuteronomy 18, the giving of the bread. 
That's why you're here. It's because you were eating of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, Well, what shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Right? This is the gospel. Right? What is the work that we have to do to be saved? We believe in Jesus. We put our faith in Him. That's all it is. Very simple. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So again, what do we notice? These two things coming together. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's making an analogy. He's making a comparison here, right? We've got manna. We've got the bread. Who is the one that's come down from heaven? It's Jesus. Now, does that line up with what everything that Jesus has said? This is my body, which is broken for you. Yes, he's comparing the things here. You guys see this? You guys with me? I know this is different, and I know this is weird, because we don't focus on the bread. But there's something that Jesus is telling us here. So, our fathers ate the bread, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. Moses did not give you the bread. My Father gives you true bread. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The bread, the artos. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven. Now, what did they quote before? He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus just said, I have come down from from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. There's two parts to that. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, what's the last day? The final, the resurrection of the dead. They know that. That was an expected thing. Verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus said that. You see how they're drawing this? They're saying, whoa, 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 that was manna, but you're saying that that was you. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? That's a fair question. Anybody around us makes a statement like that, we're starting to ask questions, okay? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, Jesus makes an interesting statement here. He quotes out of some Old Testament passages when he says that 
they shall be taught by God. What Old Testament passage are we talking about? Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Remember, they had to teach them about God, but he's saying that they will all know me. In Isaiah 54, verse 13, it says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And then in Micah 4, 2, it says, Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his way, and we, will walk, we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, combining these three things together, what are these all talking about? It's talking about the new covenant, the resurrection of the dead, and the return of Christ. That's what these things are talking about. And Jesus is quoting from this concept. Now look at what he's done so far. He has gone and he said that this is my body, part of the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body, which is broken for us. So we know why his body was broken. He says that I am the bread. I am the artos. Now he's made a connection. He said that manna that came down, that wasn't just bread. That came from the Father. Moses didn't give that. That is me. He's saying that this is me. And now he's quoting, he's saying, listen, all those that is, uh, will draw near to me is those who are the Father have uh, drawn because they all shall be taught by God. Now he's going into the passage talking specifically about the new covenant. Okay? You guys following this so far? All right. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except that he is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I and the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will, ne- or will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now this is pretty bold. I mean, can you imagine reading this verse out of context, Right? Sounds like cannibalism. Now, this is a big deal because obviously for the Jews, this does not happen. There were cannibalistic people that were out and about and this kind of stuff happened, but this was an abomination for Jesus to make this claim. You have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. I don't know how many of y'all be signing up for a church that says, hey guys, come on in. We got something for you, right? He's making a tie-in that his flesh and his blood are crucial and they're tied Together, we know what the blood does. This is the cup and the new covenant. My blood poured out for the redemption of mankind. But his body, which is broken for us, he's comparing it to manna. Right? You guys see that. Is it clear that that's what's happening? So that tells me this. We need to understand manna. Right? 
Because he's drawing us back to this every single time. Remember what I said. Look at all the times they said, not the way I took your, your fathers by the hand and led them out of Egypt. He always draws back to the Exodus. He always draws back there. Here, he is again drawing back to those old covenant principles, old things that were written down for our benefit. He's making an allusion to them here. This bread which came down from heaven is me. In Exodus 16, in verse 1, it says, As they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. And for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. That word bread there in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, is the word artos. It's the same word that Jesus used talking about the bread and communion. It's the same bread that he talks about in referring to himself. We have to understand what's happening here if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying about this bread. That's going to be another week because we got to look into this a little deeper. Unless you guys just don't want to go home because I can just do it right now. We're good. But Stan's got that look on his eye. That shirt's making his skin itch because it's, you know, that Missouri Tiger thing will give you a rash if you're not careful. So, I know, I know. I just, you know, I believe in preaching the gospel. That's all I'm saying. So, anyway, we're going to get into that next week. Guys, this is so crucial. It's so crucial that we understand this. Because what if this is the simple key element that we've been missing? What if it is? 